Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled, Abraham, the Father of Our Faith. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website, cbcsavannah.com. psalmist. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Lord Jesus, I come to you this service just thanking you again that you have brought these people to worship. You've brought these people to hear uh, the word of God. And I just pray now that you, just like you did in the first service, that your spirit would fill me, that you would empower me to proclaim your excellencies to your people. That you would help me to equip your people. That just like the psalmist says, that you, uh, you instruct the humble, that you Teach those who are hungry that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. And so we come hungry, we come thirsty, and I just pray that you would satisfy us, Jesus. May your spirit fall fresh in us. Open our eyes uh, to your truth and just help me because I stand before all these people this morning as just a broken, sometimes worthless guy who rebels. And so I need your grace, I need your truth to help me. And so add or take away from my words, what, this is yours, Lord. This is your people who you ransomed by your blood for your glory. And so add to or take away what I was going to say so that they hear what you want them to hear, not what I think they need to hear. And so we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Have a seat. Here's a quick announcement for you. I waited because nobody listens to the first announcements anyway. Um, if you park in barns normally... Please don't do that anymore. Um, not because we don't love barns, we do, but second service uh, is crowded over there and we take, we're taking up some of their spots. And so if you're a barns parker, unless you're going to eat afterwards over there, please park in the street, uh, on any of the streets, or, you know, if you're, you know, we have the lot down at Memorial and it's about a quarter mile away, but you can park down there too. But there's plenty of parking on the street, so try to avoid that so that they uh, don't come yell at me this week. And they will already because I've been told that he's going to come yell at me. So, um, so next week, I don't want him to yell at me, even though he's going to yell this week. So just a kind of quick announcement for y'all. Um, many of you know that I grew up in the Philadelphia area. If you don't know that and you've been coming here for a while, you don't listen to anything I say. So, uh, but, so, but my dad is from the South, and so every year we'd come down for vacation and we'd spend some time in Greenville, South Carolina. And, um, and, and every time we did it, without, without a doubt, we knew that there was going to be one of those nostalgic trips that we'd take, and he'd pile us all back in a station wagon, come on, you know, we're going to go, we're going to go visit some places, and so we'd drive, and we'd go all over, and we'd see all these places, and oh, that's the house that I grew up in, yeah, and then we, that, you see that little, those trees over there, I used to climb that tree, and you know, there's the apartment that me and your mother, when we first got married, and, and we go down to Roswell, Georgia, because that's where all my family's from, and, and we, there's, they take us to the family graveyard, well that's exciting, a nice and morbid vacation, <laughs> this is where all the dead Fowlers are, right here, yeah, and then we go, there's a Fowler house in Roswell, if you've been to Roswell, that's my great-great-grandfather's whatever, it's like a store now, but, that's great and me and my brother are like, oh, who cares? I don't care. Right? It's, I, don't, I don't care. But here's the funny thing about growing up and then having your own kids. <laughs> when, you drive, when you drive back to Philly, that's where I used to sled, kids. <laughs> that's the mall that I used to run around. I used to play in the arcade, and I remember where it was. That's the place me and your mama got married. This is the house we lived in. And now my kids are saying, ah, who cares? I don't care. I don't care where you got married. I don't care about all that. It's depressing. 
here's the thing. We all have a history. We, we all have a past and it has some, in some place, way shaped us in a place we came from and it's special to us. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you care or not. It doesn't matter if I care about that graveyard. It doesn't matter if I care about that first apartment my parents lived in. It doesn't matter if I care about it or not. I am forever connected to that apartment. And it doesn't matter if my kids care about, you know, where we first lived in our little house in Dallas. It doesn't matter if they care about that chapel on the campus of the Citadel where we got married. They are forever connected to that place, whether they like it or not. Right? It's, it's part of their story. It is part of their history. Because his, our history means something. Right? And, and here's what we're going to do for the next 15 or so weeks. We're going to all pile in the station wagon. In the back where there's no seatbelts, where we used to be at a ride. And we're going to go on a little trip and we're going to go on a little history tour of our history. We're going to go see where we came from. And we're going to look at one guy. All right. Second most famous guy in all the Bible. That if you were a Christian, you are forever connected to this guy. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, his story is part of your story. All right? He is the model of faith for us, both in the Old and the New Testament. He is a model of, of faithfulness. And so we're going to just spend the next couple weeks in the back of the station wagon listening to his story. He is the man whom which God chose to bring Messiah. His name if you got a bulletin, you know it already, is Abraham. So we're going to look at his story. And my goal is to move us from, oh, who cares? 4,000 years ago, talk about something relevant. I want you to move you from that to seeing where the value of his story is. Because what we're going to see is his journey and the story of God has him. It, it's just like ours. Different places, different people, same thing. Same story. And it's meant to be an encouragement to us and to help us. And here's where, and, and if you, you know, when you came in today, if you didn't get a bulletin, we have these little bookmarks in the back. We try to do this for y'all so y'all know what's coming next week. You flip this little thing over, it has little Abraham, little constellations in his beard, our creative staff, not the PE side, the other, the SCAD side of the staff did this. But you flip it over and it's got what we're reading every week. So when you come on Sunday, you can already know what the text is. And, and the goal there is to help you guys get ahead, be prepared. So when I'm talking about something, you're like, it's not the first time you've ever heard of it. Okay? And so this is available for you guys. Throw it in your Bible. Uh, and that's where we're going to be. And we're going to be spending our next couple weeks in the book of Genesis. Okay? The story of Abraham is in the book of Genesis. It's an easy one to find. If you're like, I don't know where that Nahum dude is. Don't worry about Nahum. We're not looking for him. Genesis is in the beginning. All right? That's what it means. And so if you're like, I don't know where to buy, just open the Bible to the very first page. Genesis. There you go. And we're going to be in chapters 11 through 25 over the next couple, really months, until, until about Memorial Day. And, and here's what I want to do today. Today is just like intro day. It's kind of like you get your syllabus, right? So we're going to give you the syllabus. I want you to come away with three things today. I'm going to highlight just three themes as we intro this guy, talk about his background, talk about where he came from. I'm going to highlight three big picture themes that you're going to constantly see in this guy's story. It's going to come up time and time and time again. And it not only comes up in his story, it's going to be vital for our story too. And I want these things to be ingrained in who we are as we kind of walk by faith, just like this guy walks by faith. All right? So here's where we are. Turn to Genesis chapter 11. And as you're finding, let me give you a background of where Abraham fits into the context of, of really the Bible and the whole story of God. And so Genesis 1, God creates. Boom. Everything create, He's created. Everything is good. Everything is perfect. He's got Adam and Eve. They're running around naked. And he tells them one thing. Don't eat from that tree. You can do anything you want. Just don't eat from that tree. What do they do? They eat from that tree. And when they do, they, they cast all humanity and creation into the curse of sin. And so the way everything used to operate where it was perfect and I had a perfect fellowship with God and everything was perfect and everything was great, now sin has corrupted everything. My intimacy with God is broken. Now we got death. Now we got selfishness. Now we got shame. Now we got anger. We got all these things all because of their sin. And God is kind of kind of unpacking that to them in Genesis chapter 3. He says, Adam, because you sin, this will happen. Boom, you're going to have to work hard now. Eve, because you sin, this is going to happen. It's going to hurt to have kids. Boom. But in that context of him kind of explaining what happens in the fall, he makes a promise. And it's when he's talking to Satan 
He's going to Adam, he's going to Eve. Then he directs his attention. God speaks to Satan himself and he says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, Satan, that would be your demons and all the powers of hell, and in her offspring. And then he's going to zoom in who her offspring is. He, it's not plural, it is singular. The offspring of the woman, okay, he is going to bruise your head. He is going to crush your head, Satan. You're going to bruise his heel. You're going to get a little bite in. But what's going to happen? You're done. He's going to stomp on your head. Head. And this is a promise of what happens 4,000 years later when Jesus crushes the serpent at the resurrection and ends death and sin and the penalty because he opens the door to heaven. It's, it's, a, it's what theologians call fancy word proto-euangelion. Proto means first, euangelion means gospel. It's what they're called the first gospel. It's kind of veiled. If you only had this, you'd be like, huh? But you got the rest of the New Testament and you're like, oh, I see. He makes a promise. There will be a redeemer. And, and, and it's necessary because sin starts to corrupt everything. And people are murdering each other. And earth is just a violent place. And their immorality. God has to wipe everybody out with a flood. Starts over with eight people. But those guys mess around too. And the world is just still corrupt. But instead this time of God wiping out again and starting over. He instead says, I'm going to start this process of my redemption. I am going to choose a man. I am going to make that man the model of, of being a recipient of my grace. I'm going to start a brand new nation from one guy. And through him, everybody in the world is going to be able to know about me. Right? That's where we pick up. 4,000 years ago, the process has started. Let me, let me intro kind of in verse 27, kind of read the first couple of verses. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram. Nahor and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, and, daughter of, and the daughter of Haran and the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. I know what some of you are all thinking. You're thinking, ah, who cares about where you used to live? Who cares about the graveyard? Like, this is why I don't like the Old Testament. I don't get it. I got weddings, I got funerals, I got 205 years, I got all these places. I don't know about great, 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 granddad, Tara, Haran, I can't even pronounce Milka. Who names their kid Milka anyway? And, and, and we read that and it's like, oh. But see, here's what's going on. He is establishing where this guy came from, both physically and spiritually. He really introduces in, the, in these verses three main players that we're going to see over the next couple weeks. We've got Abram. His name means exalted father, which is ironic because he ain't got no kids. You got Sarai, his wife, who is also his half-sister, which is weird. But it was okay back then, all right? And then you got Lot, his nephew, who is going to cause all sorts of problems. Those are the kind of three main players. And other people are dying. Other people are just mentioned and everything. But, but those are kind of the big people that are coming. And where they live initially is a place called Ur of the Chaldees. Now this takes some of y'all back to high school and college. Western Civ 101, Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia. You don't still know where it is, and neither do I, but that's all right. This is where it is. Ur of the Chaldees. This is where this guy lives. This is Israel. This is modern day Iraq. How many of you knew that your spiritual history started in Iraq? Right there. All right, it did. Abram from there. And so this is where they are. And Ur is like the New York City of its day. It is a thriving, rich, just booming city. Right? They had a pantheon of gods. And we have all sorts of artifacts. And you can read all about this place online and Google and whatever. But, I mean, this is a place where there's multi-gods. All these different gods. Because what they did back then, if, if there was some advantage given by the river then they would pray to the river so that the river continued to give them the advantage. So they had all these different gods, and it was all ruled by one big god, the god of the moon. The moon god. That was the main god in Ur of the Chaldees. All right? And, and I tell you all that to just to highlight this. 
This is a dude who comes from a jacked up city. He's got a jacked up background. And he's got a jacked up life. And it highlights it in verse 30. What did it say? Sarai was barren. His wife has no kids. He is 75 years old. He is way past kiddies. His wife is about 65. That's not good in those days. Because all your stuff went to your kids. All his stuff is going to go where? He doesn't have a family. It's going to go to his brother or somebody else. And it, it was seen as a curse. Broken guy, barren guy, dark place, dark background, rampant idolatry. And God is going to make this guy his man. He's going to reach his hand into the muck of the world and he's going to choose this guy and he's going to put this guy at the center of everything he is doing. This guy. And it is an act of pure grace and mercy. Just pure grace. And that's, that's the first thing I want you to grasp. And that's really the biggest thing in this entire series. If you get this, then you'll, I'll be very happy. Is that Abram's story and our story is a story of grace. It's a, it's a complete story of grace. And I know what some of you are thinking because you, you've been kind of told, well, the Old Testament is about law and the New Testament is about grace, law, grace, law, grace. And, that, and that's what you've been told. And that is a lie. It's not true. God has always been a God of grace. Do you know what the first thing God does for Adam and Eve after they rebel and they're sitting there hiding with their little, you know, plants in front of them? He kills an animal and he makes them clothes. He kills something as a substitute to cover their shame, which by the way foreshadows what he was going to do to his son later. It's it's grace. He covers their rebellion. What is Noah? Noah's one of those few guys that gets to go on the ark. And people, oh, you know, Noah was a good dude. He, he was a good dude, and that's why God chose him. That's not what the text said. The text said Noah found favor. The, Greek, the Hebrew word is grace. Noah found grace with God, so he was rescued. Abram was, found God's grace. Don't, go, don't put a little Christianese spin on this deal. This is what we do in the church. Yeah, Abram was just a good dude living in a bad place. And God just said, he's a good dude. I'm going to choose the good dude. Abram was not a good dude. Abram was an idolater. You don't believe me? Joshua says this about him. That Terah and Abram and Nahor were serving other gods. I.e., Abram is worshiping the moon. He's praying to the river. He's an idolater before God shows up. And if we don't own that and, and own it, he is, a, he is by God's grace, just chosen by God because of his grace and mercy, then what happens is we, we, we build a humanistic Christianity into ourselves where God kind of helps those who helps himself. That God looks around, he looks for all the good people. Not you. You. You're the good person. I'm going to attach myself to that because he's good. And so if I attach myself to that, I'll make him better. That is not what God does. What does God do? He attaches himself to the weak. He attaches himself to the broken. Whether it's Abraham who's 75 years old and he can't have kids, he's going to make them father of many nations. Whether it's Jacob who's a lying, deceiving, conniving punk who he makes the nation of Israel. Whether it's David, who is the youngest of his brothers, the least impressive, chooses him to be king. Whether it's Gideon, he takes Gideon and his 300 men in the book of Judges, and they have a candle and a trumpet. And they defeat 150,000 people, and they don't even do anything. Whether it's a nobody from Nazareth who works with wood, who is the Messiah. That, that's what God does, right? That's Abram. And here's where our story connects. He's worshiping the moon. God shows up. If you were a follower of Jesus, you, at some point, you were worshiping the moon too. You know, I never worshiped the moon. Okay, you worship your sports team. You worshiped your job. You worshiped your money. You worshiped your boyfriend. You worshiped yourself. You worshiped some moon. And what did God do? 
he showed up and he opened your eyes to the glory of his son, to the opportunity to have forgiveness of sin. He drew you to himself. He said, no, no, I grew up in the church. I would, blah, blah, blah. You know, you grew up in the church because of God's grace. Why? Well, I, I, went, I went to Campus Crusade in college and then I, yeah, because God brought you there. And you're here, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, this is my first time here. I don't even, God brought you here this morning because he's in the process of drawing you to himself. He wants you to know that he loves you. He paid your penalty on a cross for your sin. That's why you're here. It's all grace. It's a story of grace for Abraham, for us. And if we don't, if we don't get that, the slippery slope to legalism is there. The slippery slope to performance-based Christianity. It's right there. We're, look at, we're full up. Full up as a church. Already need three. You know why? Because we're just good. God's blessing our church because we're good. Is it really because we're good? Or is it because God's favor is upon us? Because it ain't because I'm good. Because I know what I did this week. And I know that I was reviewing my sermon this morning. And I yelled at my wife in the middle of that. And I'm not lying. <laughs> so it ain't me that's good. See, that's, that's what happens. We're good. God's going to bless. We're good. We're not good. Abram was not good. Right? And, and what ends up happening is we end up, instead of worshiping Jesus, we worship us. We wouldn't say that. But when then we read the Bible, we open the Bible, and you know what the Bible's about? It's about me. I become the hero. I'm David. I'm short like David, so I'm David. I'm Moses. I'm Jeremiah. It's good, Jeremiah. I'm Peter on the water. I become the hero of the Bible instead of Jesus becoming the hero of the Bible. It's all about me. It, in fact, this is written to me. This is not written to you. Do you realize there's no book of Bill? There's no CBC Savannah. And yeah, there it is, the last book of the Bible. It's for you, but it ain't to you. Because you're, it's, it's his story, and it's our job not to, oh, it's all about me, to find yourself in his story. Just like Abraham is one piece of his story. See, but it starts with understanding grace. And here's, here's where it really gets bad. If, you're, if you don't grasp this, what happens when you are in the desert? What happens when things go sideways? If it's about you, here's what's going to happen. Well, God, this is not fair. It's not fair. I'm 33. I've been pure my whole life. I've only been, you know, this, and I'm still not married. It's not fair. I deserve this because of what I've done, God, and you ain't holding your end of the bargain up. And that girl over there, she's married at 23, and I know she's not been pure. I, I'm better. I, I got my job, and, and I, I've been here for 20 years. I tithe. I go to church, I haven't been promoted, and this young guy comes in, and he's not even Christian, and he goes, it's not fair. I do my quiet time every morning, and I pray, and I pray for my kids, and my husband is still a knucklehead. He's not doing his deal, and her husband, and then, and then she doesn't even go to church every day. It's not fair. It's not fair that I'm 47 and I'm sick and I have cancer. It's not fair that this, and, and this person's been smoking for 73 years and they're still running marathons. Not fair. It just gets to that when you don't grasp grace. What do you deserve? Wrath. What do you get? Child of God. It all comes back to that. Right? It comes back. And here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework for the week for 4.1. Get an hour, get a piece of paper, and highlight in your life, in your past, evidences of God's grace in your story. I think if you sit down and think back on, wow, look what God has done. I, I, just my reflection in doing this this week, I look back, and, and just in the last 20 years, I'm thinking, how in the world have I gotten to this place? I mean... What God did before, I, was, I grew up in a Christian home, but I wasn't a Christian. I had more than nothing to do with God. And I went off to college, and, and, and God gets me to a college that I really didn't want to go to, that I had never visited. And I, and I chose a major because I like kickball. So I was like, oh, kickball is great, I'll be a PE major. I didn't have any desire, I just, I like kickball. That's what you do, right? And so I get, and I connect with a group of friends 
that eventually, after I graduate and my parents move back to South Carolina, I go hang out with these friends. And what happens? In God's providence, because of these friends, because I went to this school, because I was this major, I meet this beautiful woman who I end up marrying. But on top of that, she's at a little church plant in Greenville, South Carolina, and she says, you need to come to my church. And so I go to her church, and I hear the gospel in a way that it's real and it is alive, and I become a Christian. And then I, because I chose this major, because I, because I like kickball, I get a job in a town that I never heard of, Beaufort, South Carolina. Unless you're a Marine, you don't even know where it is. And if you are a Marine, you don't want to know where it is. And so I go there and I get this job and I have no clue what God has for me. I just like kickball, right? And I, and I get married and I go to this little town. And, and God, what he is doing is he is preparing me for a life of public speaking because I'm a complete introvert. But he puts me in a room with kindergartners where I have to teach them. And if you want to be in the wilderness, <laughs> kindergartners. But what God is preparing me because it, it is for a life of talking to kindergartners. See, the first service got that way earlier, which means this might be pre-K in here. No, I'm just kidding. But, but if you can teach a six-year-old to line up, you can do anything. But see, I don't see any, and I have no clue what God is doing. I just have a job because I want to be married. But then God puts me in a church, and in this church... There's some people that identify some gifts in me and my wife and some callings and say, we think you ought to do this. Okay, I'll go to seminary even though I hate school and I majored in kickball. <laughs> and I go off to school and then I come back and I work at this church. And then they say, we want you to go to Savannah, Georgia and, and be this church planning guy. And me and my wife, this is not an offense to that Savannah, city of Savannah. We love it. We did not like Savannah then. All we knew of Savannah was that stupid big ball on Duran Avenue. Because we could only go to the mall. That was the only reason we came. And I, and I was like, this is the ugliest city in America. <laughs> See, my, my history with Duran Avenue goes way beyond. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, we want to go to this town. They got this dumb big ball and it's like strip malls. I don't, I don't want to play in a church in Savannah. We love the city now. It's been nine years. We love it. Just so don't get offended if you grew up going to that big ball and thinking that was great. <laughs> but what's the point? Most of this stuff was in process before I even was worshiping Jesus. It was before that. And God is just grace, 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 grace. Why are we in this room? Because we just happen to know one person that knew somebody at that church over there. And we were, it's just grace. It's grace all around. And if you will start identifying these things in your life, I'm telling you, you'll, you'll be humble. And, and when you're humble, you get more grace because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace is not for the strong. Grace is not for the mighty. Grace is not for the, those who are healthy. Grace is for the sick. Grace is for the weak. Grace is for the broken. So if you get nothing else out of this series, understand that Abram's life and our life is grace. Keep coming back to that. That's not the baby steps. That's the deep stuff. That's the deep stuff, Right? That's the first thing. We'll go to the next. Chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is a great verse. He says, and here's the thing. Anytime God shows up later on in the Old Testament, what's he always say? I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Isaac. Well, he hadn't had those opportunities yet, so he don't show up saying, hey, I'm the God of you. He just says, Go. And this is a guy that probably never heard of God, the true one true God, at this point in his life. And didn't show up and say, hey, Abram, how you doing? My name's God. I'm going. I want you to do something. He just says, go. I want you to, to leave this place that you've been living for 75 years. You think he's a little bit comfortable? You think he knows everybody in his neighborhood? You think he's got business deals all over the place? Everything he knows, everything he's comfortable with, all the people he knows, and some God shows up and says, Go. Get out of here. And on top of that, look at the open-endedness of his command. To the land that I will show you. Like I haven't shown you yet. Can you imagine that conversation with his wife when he gets home? His wife slash sister. 
honey, we need to go. God told me, go where? I don't know. Well, how long is it going to take to get there? I don't know. What are we going to do when we get there? I don't know. Are we ever coming back? I don't know. What do you know? That's the conversation. Not to mention his friends. And all the details that we would find comfortable and encouraging, they're not there. My wife and I joke because she thinks I give lousy directions. I disagree. If you ask my wife for directions, she'll tell you, make a left on this road, make a right on this road, make a left on this road. There you are. I think that's too simplistic. So I like to fill in the gaps. I'll be like, okay, you're going to make a right on this road. And then what you're going to see is there's this pond. And it's on the left. And, it's front of, and there's this big tree by the pond. And you go another mile or so. And there's going to be a, a, a mailbox on the right. And, 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 and well, do I turn at the mailbox? No, no, you don't turn at the mailbox. I'm just telling you there's a mailbox so that you, when you're on the way, you know that you're still going the right direction. And then you make a left on this road. And then there's this big dog. And he barks a lot. And do I turn at the dog? Is that, no, 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 no. I'm just telling you so you know you're in the right place. See, I want you to know so that you're, if, if you don't see the pond, you don't see the mailbox, you know, oh, I'm, I'm in the wrong place. See, all those details, all those comforts, they're not there. Right? Why? Because God wants him to live with that discomfort and that tension and that lack of info so that when he's walking, he's not finding hope and there's the pond, I know I'm in the right place. There's the mailbox. There's the dog. No, no, no. He wants him to trust in one place and one place only, him. Otherwise, he's play, it's his plan, it's his schedule, it's his people. No, it's all about him. Here's the only thing Abraham knows. He gets some promises from God. He says this, I will make you a great nation. Right? I, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What we have here is the beginning of what's called the Abrahamic covenant. And we're going to get into this later on the, down the road, right? It's a big deal. All sorts of covenants in the Bible. A covenant is just a promise between either two people or God and people. Sometimes it's conditional, like the Mosaic covenant. God says, if you obey me, then I'll prosper you and this is all the things I'll do. If you don't, I won't. The, but there's also unconditional covenants where God says, I'm going to do this no matter what you do. Like the Noahic covenant, Noah. I will never again destroy the earth with water. Here's a rainbow. Boop. All right. Or David, the Davidic covenant. I will make someone from your loins, David, be king forever and ever. Boop. All right. Those are unconditional. This is a covenant that God makes with Abram, and he makes three big picture promises in it. Three kind of big picture things. He's going to make him a great nation. He's going to make him a great name. And there's going to be a great blessing. There's going to be a great impact through this guy, right? Great nation, that's kind of a hard one for Abram to think about because he's 75 with no kids. But I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna, make your, I'm gonna make you famous. Everyone who blesses you, I'm gonna bless. Everyone who curses you, I'm gonna curse. And there's gonna be a great impact. Everybody in the world will be blessed through you. And here's the question we gotta ask this morning. Did God do that? I mean, here, did God keep his word? It's a question. What about the great nation? Did God make Abraham a great nation? And the answer is yes. He made the nation of Israel, which at one point was the most powerful nation in the world under David and Solomon. But even beyond that, think about this now. Why on earth do a people exist still who have been, there's been multiple attempts to exterminate them throughout Scripture, throughout human history, and Yet they're still around. And on top of that, by the way, they didn't have land for 2,000 years. They didn't have a country. Since 70 AD until 1948, there was no Israel. Everyone's trying to kill them. Everyone's trying to exterminate them. Yet they still exist. Why? Because God promised it. It's the only explanation. It's the only explanation. I mean, where are the Philistines? You met any Philistines lately? I've never met a Moabite. Uh, have, you ever, have, you, have you ever met a Hittite? Parasite? Termite? I mean, where are the ites? There's no more ites. Why is there a nation of Israel? Because God promised it. Did God keep what he said? Absolutely. What about the great name deal? I will, I will make your name great. I'm going to make you famous. Abraham famous? He was the most rich guy in his day in, in that land. 
he's going to turn out. One of the most powerful guys. And, and even in world religions, Abraham is a hero. For us, obviously, as Christians. But guess who else think he's a hero? Judaism thinks he's a hero. Here's another surprise for you. Islam thinks that Abraham, he's the, he's the second most important guy in their deal. Next to Muhammad, it's Abraham. And we're going to see why in a couple weeks. He's a famous guy. How about the old idea of those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. Look at human history. What, those people who have treated the Jews poorly, what has happened? Well, what did Pharaoh, what happened to Pharaoh? <laughs> Lost it all. Haman, when he tries to exterminate him, hangs on his own gallows. I mean, you go down history. Every person that has ever been treated the Jews poorly, ultimately they get destroyed. Rome, when they, when they basically throw salt on Jerusalem and level it in 153 AD, the Roman Empire crashes and burns right after that. Even modern history. Did you, have you ever seen pictures of Germany after World War II? Level. Not, not just them. 1492. Yes, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. But do you know what else happened? Is that Spain started exiling Jews. Spain was a world power at that point. Does anyone really care what happens in Spain anymore? Even with Ronaldo? I mean, have they been a world power since then? No. On the flip side, the United States of America has been one of the great, most gracious and supportive nations up to this point of Israel. And we are the richest, most powerful, wealthy nation probably to ever live. You think that's by accident? I don't think so. I think it's because God blesses those who bless and those curses, those who curse. This is why we got to be very careful to support God's people. Because God has a future for Israel, y'all. There's a partial hardening now, but one day they will return their Messiah. Right? And he chose that nation. And what about the third thing? Were all the families of the earth blessed through Abraham? Who came 2,000 years later? Jesus of Nazareth. The Messiah. All the nations. Blessed. Did God do what he said? Yes. And here's the second overall principle we're going to see in his life. God is full of grace. Here's the story of grace. And God is always faithful to do what he says. Always. Always faithful. And, and here's what that looks like for us. The application is not, well, I better be nice to my Jewish neighbor. Yeah, you should because you should be a nice neighbor. But the application is so much richer. And, and think about... Who was the original audience of Genesis? It was the people of Israel wandering around the desert. All right? The, 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 Moses is writing this book to the people as they wander around the desert. They had just left Egypt. They're still thinking about salad because all they have is bread and quail right now. And they're, oh, there was great cucumbers and onions back there. And they're wandering and they're hot and they're living in tents and they don't know where they're going to go. And they come to this chapter and they hear God promising Abram, a barren old dude, that he's going to have kids. And his nation is going to be great. And immediately they have to think, wait a minute. That's us. We're the great nation. 500 years ago, Abram was one dude with his half-sister. 500 years later, there is two to three million of them. 500 years. And they got to say, wait a minute. Here's a dude. He's a broken dude from a broken land, wandering around a hot desert, not knowing what's going to go on. Here we are, broken dudes in the desert, not knowing what's going on. If God was faithful then to him and did what he said, well, maybe we can trust him now. Maybe he knows what he's doing. Maybe he is going to come through just like he did with Abram. It's a big moment for them. It's a big moment for us because now we're 3,500 years later and we ask the question, has God ever not done what he said he's going to do? And the answer is no. And it's easy to say that when everything's going well, right, when the kids are all in college and everyone's got scholarships or even the job's going well and money in the bank. It's easy to say God is faithful. Here's where it's hard. When you are in the desert and you will be eventually. That's just the way it is. You, just like Abraham, are going to be in the desert. And it's at that moment, are you going to say, ooh, God is faithful or not? Right? Because what we see in his story is that your storm, your desert is, is personal and it's hard, but it's not the first time. And you're not the only one. It, 
this has happened before. And God is faithful. And, and this is where we got to come, y'all. This is where we got to go. And what you need to do is you need to find some of these promises of God that are, that are in Scripture. Not every promise is for you. Don't go build a big boat. That ain't for you. Don't go jump off Tybee Pier thinking you're going to start walking to Europe, okay? That, that's not a, a command and a promise for you. But there are plenty of promises for you to cling to that you need to cling to when you are in the desert. And let me just tell you, in the la this month has been probably one of the hardest months that I've ever seen in being y'all's pastor in nine years. I mean, we have dryness and brokenness that I am more aware of now. And maybe it's just because y'all are telling me now. And you haven't been, and if that's the case, you can slow it down, y'all, because we are hurt. <laughs> Bring it on. But there is brokenness and dryness in this body right now. I've never seen anything like it in my nine years. I mean, just never. And, and it's in those moments where you need, and some of you are facing just struggle with sin, and it is encompassing you, and you need to know and you need to cling to the promise that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That when you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. You need to cling to those promises because Satan not only tempts you to sin, but as soon as you do, he's on the other side. And what's he telling you? You wicked guy. I can't believe you call yourself a Christian. He plays both sides of that deal. And some of you, you, you you're sick. There's just, there's just whatever, whether it's cancer or some other thing. And... And God is faithful in that, and that doesn't mean that you are going to live another 30 years. When, when you say God is faithful, that doesn't mean that you're going to get what you want. It just means that God is good even in that, and there can be rest even in that. And that might mean that your healing is in being with Jesus, or it might mean you get a physical healing. But, but God is faithful in that. And some of you have, you got decisions, you don't know where should I put my kids in school, and you, and you need to come to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge, and he will direct. And you just need to cling to these things. Some of you are broke, and you're like, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to do this, and I don't know how I'm going to afford college. And you need to go out, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added. You're worried about paying your power bill, and Jesus says, hey, I care about the birds. Don't worry about this. I got this. Chill. It's the Bill version. I got it. I mean, there's all these promises. They're called precious and magnificent promises by Peter. You need to start claiming them. Because either God is faithful or he is not. And you got to come up with what you think. But I'll tell you this. He has never once failed. Zero percent failure rate. He is always faithful. And we're going to see it happen in Abraham. And you're going to see it happen in your life. And it doesn't mean there's not going to be wanderings. It doesn't mean there's not going to be deserts. But it does mean he will always be faithful. Ours is a story of grace. God is always faithful. And there's one more big piece. Verse 4. I love this. So Abram went. Isn't that great? Abram went as the Lord told him. And we're going to see times in this dude's life where he does things and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Like this. You leave? That's stunning. And then we're going to see times where we're like, you are an absolute moron. Which is why we relate to this so well. Because there's times in your life you're like, man, that was awesome, God. And then there's other times when you're like, I'm a moron. And that's, that's part of the greatness of this story. But here's where the rubber meets the road. Some point when you understand grace and some point when you understand God's faithfulness... God expects you to move. God wants us to trust him and to follow him. And that's what this guy's life is going to look like. And that's what yours life is going to look like. God wants you to trust. He wants you to embrace grace. But he wants you to move. At some point, and we're going to see it, and so I'm not going to get real specific. But here's just a couple things about that. Number one, sometimes God is going to call you to do something, and you do not know how it is going to turn out on the backside. And that is not easy, y'all. Sometimes it's very black and very white, and many times you are in the mist. Right? Just like that scene, remember in Indiana Jones' Last Crusade? It's not Star Wars, but it's the same guy. Right? So I can get there. But Indiana Jones is standing on the cliff, and he's got to get all the way over there, and he's, all he knows is a leap from the lion's mouth will prove his worth. And he's thinking, I can't jump this. And his dad back there, Sean Connery, 007, is dying. 
because he's been shot. And he says, you must believe, boy. I don't have, Cain's got a better accent than me. I'm sorry. <laughs> you must believe. And so what does Indy do? Covers his eyes. And he takes a leap of faith and he steps off, not knowing what's going to happen. And what happens? There's something invisible or I don't even know. Very Star Wars there. <laughs> right? But there's something there when he steps out that catches him. And that's, that's really sometimes what your life is like. You have no clue what's on the other side. You don't know what's on the back end. Abram doesn't know what's going to happen. And, and quite honestly, he never sees most of it. How long does he have to wait before he has his kid that he's promised? 25 years. He, he's promised the land in verse 7. Right? You can look down there. He's promised, he, never get, he never gets the land. It's for his kids. In fact, the only thing he ever owns his entire life as he wanders is a cave he buys to bury his wife. He doesn't see the Messiah 2,000 years later. Sometimes God asks you to do something and you do not know what's on the back end. And you're just going to have to trust that he can catch you. Right? That, that's the deal. That's hard. Right? But there's a mist because that way you're not trusting in your plan. That way you're not trusting your ability to manage. Some of you, God is calling you maybe to switch jobs. And you love the comfort of Ur of the Chaldees. It's comfortable. I know, I, I know what to expect. I'm not happy, but I know what to expect. And God is asking you to step out and do this. Maybe it's a new startup that you've been dreaming about for 12 years. And you just, you just you're like, err, because it's safe. But all these people are telling you, you need to do that. You need to do that. You need to do it. Maybe you need to do that. But I don't know. If God's telling you to do it, do you really think he's going to let you fall? Sorry, Indy. Just kidding. Pshh. No. Maybe God is calling you to come home and be with the kids. You've been wanting to do it and you're trying to figure it out. And you know God's calling you to do it. Maybe it's time to take that leap of faith. Right? Or to maybe, maybe God's calling you to ask that girl out. Right? What's the worst thing that could happen? She says no. And you start going to a different service. That's all that happens. <laughs> right? Maybe it's, it's a money thing and at the, you're, you're just kind of not trusting God with your finances. So you give what's left at the end of the month, which is kind of, you know, after you've done all your thing, instead of giving off the top and trusting that God's going to meet the, their need. Right? Maybe teenagers. Maybe it's you and all the boys are going out to drink. Right? And you know it. And you'll all oh, just be the designated driver. And it's time for you to say, you know what? No, I'm not going to go. And you don't know how they're going to respond. And maybe they say, well, we're not going to be friends with you anymore. You don't know what's on the back side of that. You don't know what, if you take a stand at the office for this shady deal that's going on, if you're going to lose your job. But you know what's right. Maybe it's time to take a step. Maybe it's this relationship that you know is not good. You know there's not purity. You know it's causing you to stumble. But you're scared because if I don't, if I don't, if I'm not with her, I don't know if I'll ever find anyone like, I don't know. You don't know what's on the backside of it. And you're scared. This is Abraham. But is God grace? Is God faithful? That's where we got to come. And, and let me just encourage you and at the same time open your eyes. Just because you take a sip of faith does not mean things get easier. That is the, that is the, the heresy of the prosperity gospel. You give a hundred and God will give you a thousand. Sow a seed. I got a vial of Jordan River money for, for my office for you. That's not the way it works, y'all. Sometimes when you step out, it gets harder. I mean, Abraham, we don't have time to look at it. He, in verse 7, he goes, and notice the last line. The Canaanites are in the land. Canaanites are bad dudes. It's ISIS on steroids is what the Canaanites are. They are murderous. They are... They are Immoral, they kill their, their, their sacrifice, their babies. They are a wicked group of people. Things, and you think how happy they are for Abraham to move into town? Yeah, come on. Take up our grassland. Take up our, our stuff. It is harder for him at first. It is harder. But yet, that's what God calls him to do. Here, but here's the beauty of it. What does he get if he steps out in faith? What does he find, verse 7? 
the Lord. The Lord appears to him. Notice before it says the Lord said to him. Now God himself is appearing to him. When he takes a step of obedience, what does he find? He gets more of God. He says, to your offspring I give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Twice it highlights that God appears to him. This is exactly what Jesus says to his disciples. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And I will what? I will manifest myself to him. I will reveal. When you step out in faith and obey Jesus, you know what you get more of? More of Jesus. You get more of him. You draw closer to him, he draws closer to you. You will find him there. It's, just, it's, it's C.S. Lewis captured it beautifully in his book, Prince Caspian. For those who love the Chronicles of Narnia. Where Lucy, the youngest, she thinks she sees Aslan. But and she doesn't want to follow him because all her brothers and sisters say, no, no, it's not Aslan. And so she doesn't. But then again, she sees him again. And this time she says, I don't care what my brothers and sisters Think, I'm following Aslan. You know what happens? The more she follows Aslan, the more she sees him. And the more clear, she sees him more and more. The more she goes after Aslan, the more she sees him. And finally, when she gets up to him, she's up next to him, she says, Aslan, you are so much bigger than you used to be. He says, I'm not bigger. I'm the same. You just see me as bigger now. That's the way Jesus is. The more you step out in faith, the more you grow, the more you obey. It's not that God has changed. He's still God. It's just your view of him. Oh, you are so much bigger than I remember. Because you have come through time and time and time and time again. That's Abraham's story. That's our story. Right? That's ours. And so that's what we want. To be a a people who just start seeing Jesus as bigger and bigger and so here's where, here's where we'll close. What is it that you need to step out and start doing? And I'm not talking about something new. What do you know that you're supposed to be doing now that you're not? You know that the way you speak to your spouse is disrespectful. You're going to keep justifying, well, I'll deal with that one day. I've got a lot of other issues. I'll do it. No, you know that that's the issue. You know, teenager, that you're not honoring your parents and you're lying, you're hiding this deal. At what point are you going to say, stop making excuses? Well, when I feel better about it, when it's not so hard, that's what we do. We make excuses. Well, maybe if I wait long enough, God will change his mind. God can outweigh you. He's been around for, oh, eternity. You ain't going to outweigh God, right? If he's calling you to do something, do it. How long are you going to play with this addiction? Seriously. How long are you going to destroy yourself with this addiction? How long are you going to wait to get help in your marriage? Well, they're too busy down there at the church. I've got this marriage class for y'all. And, and, if, and for those who are interested in Abel, there is a great marriage conference in two weeks in Jacksonville, Florida. Matt Chandler and his wife Lauren are coming to town. So two of my favorite folks to read and listen. They've got a book called The Mingling of Souls, their new marriage book. But they're doing a conference two weeks from now in Jacksonville. It'd be a great conference for some of y'all. If you have the time and the money, you can Google it. Matt Chandler, Jacksonville. I guarantee it'll come up. Come to the. I mean, how long are you gonna wait? Some of you, oh, I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna get involved and get into a community group eventually. I'm gonna get served. Really? Some of you last week we talked about loving your neighbor and reaching out and be, and you still haven't moved. It's, it's, God just wants a people of movement, not stagnant. Go into the all the world, right? It, it just movement, and so just stop waiting. So how do I know what God's doing? Well, I can tell you one thing you need to do. You need to start carving out some time and just spending it in the Word. Just reading. Same thing keeps coming up. Boom, boom, boom. Maybe God's speaking. You got three different people telling you the three different things. I remember in one time in my life, three different people told me, you know, you're, you're not a great listener. Oh, it's not true. Next person, you know, you probably need to work on your listening. No. And my wife says, you need to work on your listening. Oh, okay, fine. I got three people. Maybe God is trying to tell me something. This is why I keep my phone with me at all times, not because I want to be on it, but sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll have a thought. Now, and I'll write it down. Now, sometimes that's just Barbaritos and sometimes that's God. And I keep it in my car because I can't remember anything anyway, so if I don't write it down right away, I'll be like, what did I think? I'm like, oh, I missed that one. I'm just constantly trying to keep my eyes open to what God is doing because maybe I need to hear something. Maybe I need to do something. Most of the stuff that we do as a church and ideas came from this guy over here. Or maybe I was in the middle of the night. I'm like, we need to do that. 
And I just realized it wasn't spicy chicken, it was Jesus. And, and that's, the, that's, the, that's the Christian life. It's just God speaks, we listen. Some of us have this, oh, we're going to do big things for God. What is really big for God? I mean, is there anything big? We define big as Billy Graham. You know what big is? Doing what God's called you to do, where he's called you to do it, how he's called you to do it. It might mean the widow's mites. That's big. It might be a stay-at-home mom. That's big. It might be middle management over here, 20 years in the army. There's no big unless it's what God is leading you to do. Just step by step. It's not three big decisions make your Christianity. It's a thousand little ones. What is God calling you to do? Right? That's what we do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship. And, and here's the, the beauty of Abraham's story. It's our story. Called to make a break from your old past, to be a wanderer in a place you don't belong, as a worshiper, trusting in the promises that are for the future, but living as if they are true now. Is that not our lives? That's Abraham's life. It's all the same. So we're going to spend some time over the next few months talking about God's grace, His faithfulness, and what it will look like as we obey. And we're going to start today, hey, we're going we're gonna to celebrate through worship. We're going to worship with the Lord's table. I love in, in, in verse 8 that Abraham, it says he moved, he builds an altar to the Lord, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. His first act once he gets to the land is worship. He builds an altar. What we do is we worship. And, and even though Abraham, Abraham's story is similar to ours and we're linked to it, Jesus' story is ours. Because he lived a life that we could not live. He took sin upon himself, and now he gives us eternal life. So if you are in Christ, that's the language of the New Testament, his story is your story. He, you get the benefits of his perfect life. You get the benefits of his sacrifice. You get the benefits of resurrection. Jesus' story, if you've put your faith in him, is our story. It's not just something that's similar. If you are in Christ, that is you. And so when we take the bread in a minute, the body that was broken for you, for your sin, it was crushed, it was pierced in your place, the blood that was spilt for the forgiveness of your sins, it's not just, yeah, that's a good thing. No, you are part of that. When Jesus is pouring out his, his blood and he's saying, Father, forgive them, it is your deal he is taking there. It is very personal. It is very you and him as well as the rest of us. It's not just some like pie in the sky. Yeah, that's great. No, it is for your sin. And so as we take in just a moment, think on that. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, I don't, if you're a member here or not, we invite you to partake. We're going to have a time of reflection. The men are going to come forward. So you guys can come down now because I know it's going to take us a while to get through all of us. So you guys come. And here's how we'll do it. The men will pass the bread and the, and the cup. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take and just spend some time reflecting on grace. Spend some time reflecting on God and the gospel. And then when you're ready, you just take right there in your seat. I'm not coming back up, so you just take right there. And then we'll stand together at some point and we'll just keep singing. And we'll look forward to the next couple months where we look at God's grace. We look at his faithfulness. We look at our response. Let me pray. And then we'll, we'll worship through the table and singing. Lord Jesus, take your people, send them to wherever you want, just as worshipers. Father, help us to embrace and love and cherish grace. Help us to constantly come back to your faithfulness and your goodness, even in the wilderness. Lord, let us respond in the way that you are glorified and you are honored. Um, just use these next 14, 15 weeks, Lord, to shape your church, to make us a people a faith to make us a people who trust you and your goodness. As we worship now, just even through the table, just be glorified in Christ's name I pray.